At Old Mutual Wealth Private Client Securities, we specialize in bespoke investment management for high net worth individuals, trusts, and companies. Our private client portfolio managers craft and manage tailored share portfolios, investing directly into high-quality companies both locally and globally. We partner with you and your financial planner to ensure that you achieve your financial goals with peace of mind. Semiconductor chips are the engine driving the technological transformation of the world. It's been like that for many years, and as U.S. entrepreneur Mark Andreessen famously pointed out, software is eating the world, and evidence of this can be seen absolutely everywhere. However, the underlying thing, without semiconductor chips, there would be no machines to drive the information age. And nevertheless, today we find ourselves in incredibly precarious positions of relying on just a handful of companies to meet the world's insatiable appetite and desire for faster, more powerful, smaller semiconductor chips. Let's welcome Andrew Ditburner, who is the Chief Investment Officer at Private Client Securities. Andrew, uh, it's great to have you on the podcast today. Let's talk about the significance of this global semiconductor industry. Why? I mean, for obvious reasons, we know why, but why is it so big? Yeah, as you uh, rightfully point out, you know, uh, semiconductors are the brains, you know, that sit behind every single electronic device that that we can think of. You know, previously, you know, it would have been uh, we would just think about our computers, for instance. But when it comes to today, and you think about your mobile phones, tablets, the Internet of Things, connectivity, you know, literally every single device, your fridge, your car, you know, all of these devices need semiconductors. They are effectively, I suppose, the unsung hero, you know, that sits behind technology, you know, and as you rightfully point out, you know, these are the, uh, this is the equipment that is driving the technological revolution um, of the world today, you know, so... They are incredibly important. Uh, they sit, you know, very much behind the scenes. When you talk about technology, often we talk about artificial intelligence, virtual reality, you know, autonomous driving, these sorts of things. But what sits behind all of that uh, are these semiconductor chips. And uh, as we've seen this year, you know, they sit in the hands of a few very powerful companies, you know. So the world is almost, you know, I don't want to say hold ransom, mm. but you know, we're very reliant on a very few small number of companies uh, that produces and designs these chips. Um, you know, and as such, what we see now is this very complex uh, supply chain uh, that uh, as a result of the complexity of it and reliance on, you know, not one company uh, fulfilling the whole supply chain, uh, we're ending up in this shortage, which, uh, which we've seen coming through today. That's a very interesting point. We'll get to the shortage in, in a second. I want to step one step back uh, and just talk about the demand. You, you, you've mentioned that, you know, they're underpinning all of the things, the Internet of Things, the, the, the AI, the virtual reality or the augmented reality, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but what about the, the actual things that are driving the demand? Uh, I, I have three here. Maybe we can tease these out. Cloud data centers. Obviously, they're underpinned by massive machine power. Um, the move to mobile, of course, there is everybody with a mobile phone in their hand these days. And of course, the Internet of Things, as you mentioned, fridges, washing machines, dishwashers, light sockets, etc., etc., etc. And so it goes. Let's just uh, tease that out a little bit and, and see what the landscape looks like from that point of view. Yeah, so I mean, if we we can start with the first one, you touch on cloud computing, you know, and you think about whether it's Amazon Web Services, Microsoft Azure, you know, Google have, have their uh, cloud platform as well. 
companies, uh, corporations, everything, you know, that sits on our laptop now sits in the cloud, as we know, you know, things that sit on your phone, uh, your your music, your photos, etc. They all sit in the, you know, in the cloud. And, you know, we talk about the cloud, but the cloud actually needs to store the data somewhere. And that data needs to be stored in, in, in uh, data centers. Mm-hmm. And that data needs to be processed. And in order for it to be processed, uh, you need these, you know, as you point out, uh, smaller, more powerful, and probably a very important point that you didn't touch on, more energy efficient uh, semiconductor chips uh, to to power these data centers. You know, the move to mobile, as as you talk about, everyone's got a, at least one mobile phone uh, that's sitting in their pocket. Uh, you know, you've got your tablets, your your laptops. Uh, think about your watches. You know, 10 years ago, uh, your watch had some cogs in it that, uh, you know, drove the hands around the face of the watch. Today, yeah. you sit probably with a smartwatch mm. or, you know, some sort of sports watch. And all of those need semiconductors. So let's move to mobile. And then obviously, the last thing you touch on, the internet of things is, you know, Everything today is connected, uh, you know, your fridges, uh, your cars, as you point out, um, you know, there's this new word around, you know, the metaverse, which I'm still trying to get my head around. And, you know, that leans kind of towards <laughs> towards the Internet of Things, uh, but virtual reality, you know, artificial intelligence, augmented reality, as I mentioned earlier. Mm. Now, so all of these uh, things uh, require semiconductors and it's not, you know, you don't just have one type of semiconductor. You've obviously got many different types, whether it's a CPU, you know, a GPU, an integrated circuit, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, let's let's address the elephant in the room. COVID happens, the supply chain gets broken, things shut down, transports around the world slows, people are sick, people are locked down, the world economy just slows down, and all of a sudden we find ourselves with everybody working from home, reliance on those chips that we're talking about, much more than they were, let's say, five years ago. Everybody needs a piece of equipment to communicate with somebody else. And now all of a sudden we're faced with a chip shortage. Let's unpack that. How did that all happen? Mm. Yeah, so I think to understand the shortage uh, that we're currently seeing, we, we probably need to take a step back and actually understand the structure of the industry. You know, there are short-term impacts and there are long-term impacts that are that have caused this. Um, you've touched on the short-term, which is obviously the pandemic, but there's also a long-term issue at play here, and that's coming to the structure of the industry, um, which I alluded to earlier on in our conversation. But we can go back probably to, you know, there's not enough time to, to tell the whole story here, but we can go back probably to about the 80s um, when there was a guy by the name of Morris Chan who, who worked for Texas Instruments, which was a U.S. semiconductor, still is a U.S. semiconductor business. And um, at that time, uh, these businesses were were vertically integrated. And uh, by that, we mean they designed their own chips. You know, they had, you know, their their own equipment manufacturers. They fabricated or manufactured their own chips. They sold their own chips and, you know, even sold, you know, some of the the end products that the chips went into. Um, And Morris Chan in the mid-80s, you know, cut a long story short, he left. He he came from Taiwan and he left the business um, and he went back to Taiwan, took some time out. And uh, the government there, you know, approached him and said he needs to, you know, get Taiwan into the semiconductor game. And he thought about this for a while, and, and he actually then uh, came up with the idea of actually, you know, uh, breaking up this vertical integration and, you know, building the industry out in, in a horizontal manner. And by that, I mean, you you break up the different processes. So you've got your design process, uh, you know, which are called fabulous companies. You've then got your companies that just manufacture chips. Uh, these are called foundries. Taiwan Semiconductor is uh, the world's biggest foundry. Effectively, I think about 50% of all third-party manufactured chips go through Taiwan. You know, chips around the world go through Taiwan. Mm. You know, so very much reliant on that. And as a result, you know, 
this has allowed innovation at the design process to really accelerate um, because obviously making chips is incredibly expensive. You, you need to build these um, these fabrication plants that are hugely expensive. Obviously, to design the chips are a hell of a lot cheaper. Yep. So as a result, you've got specialization across the supply chain at various parts. At the same time, you've got a very complex supply chain and designs need to move from, you know, take it Apple or Tesla and they need to move all the way across to, to uh, Taiwan where it's manufactured and then the chip needs to travel back across to, to America. And I think you can start to see my point that uh, the supply chain is quite complex and that's a long-term mm-hmm. issue when we talk about the shortage today. So we get the pandemic that happens. Um, obviously, on the supply side, factories are shut down, um, you know, which obviously slows down uh, manufacturing. On the demand side, as we all move to online, people suddenly want uh, more phones, more tablets, more gaming consoles, etc., etc. So the demand picks up. Mm. Given the complexity and the fact that these chips now have to also move across the world, given that there's no one company or no one region in the world that produces a chip end-to-end. You know, so from the equipment, the material, the design, the manufacture, the sale, there's not one region in the world that can actually do that so you know you've you've got this logistics issue that's that sits there which is a long-term factor so those two effects uh, results in us being in the position that we found ourselves today i'm just listening to you talk and thinking about the vertical integration versus the horizontal integration and and how it's sped everything up the pros and cons of each i'm thinking about apple and what's happened with their M1 chip. I'm going to geek out for a second here, but 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 they were on Intel chips beforehand, which very much relied on somebody else to make those chips for them. They've now vertically integrated by making the chips themselves. Has that got anything to do with the fact that uh, that process was out of their control? Yes, I think they, you know, when you look now, what's happening, you know, it's not just Apple. The concern is that given the supply chain as, as it is at the moment mm. is uh, that you're losing intellectual property. Um, and I think that's ultimately what it comes down to. So we see, you know, how they're rectifying this issue at the moment is that these companies are spending huge amount of capex in, uh, you know, bringing uh, that manufacturing, you can call it home, but you yeah. know, it's not home for, for, for Taiwan Semiconductor, mm. for instance, they're spending a, a large amount of money putting up a fabrication plant in, uh, in Texas, I believe. I stand to be corrected, but it's in the U.S. You know, they're spending 10 billion U.S. dollars there, I think it is. Wow. Um, you know, so that's just to, I suppose, uh, stop intellectual property. These companies like Apple, that are now, you know, designing Tesla as a similar one, designing their their own chips. Mm. You know, they don't want to be sending their designs uh, across the, the world to what they might see as competitors, I suppose. Correct. Um, you know, and losing that IP in the process. So, it's, yeah, it's a very political, I suppose, issue as well. Yeah, it is. I think the nuances and the, and the avenues that we can go down, we could be here for days talking about this because it is. It's a very complex uh, setup. What, what is very clear, though, and let's bring it back into the context of the, this podcast, is that exposure to the sector, regardless of how it's going to play out, regardless of shortage, the appetite for this sector in terms of using electronics is massive. It's not going anywhere. How as an investor, maybe, can I, can I get exposure to this sector? What, what should mm. I be looking for? What should I be doing? Yeah, so, you know, it's incredibly, I suppose, complicated when thinking about investing in the sector because you can, you know, as I've already touched on the supply chain, there's so many different, mm. you know, uh, parts to this the supply chain. You can start right at the beginning for, you know, companies that, that actually manufacture equipment that goes into in, into fabrication plants. There are companies that supply materials, you know, that obviously used to to produce. Uh, there are companies that design software that companies use to design 
uh, semiconductors, and then you've obviously got your designers, which are your fabulous companies, and you've got your fabricators uh, or your foundries, as I know. So there's so many, you know, different areas of the supply chain that you can invest in, and uh, you know, as a result, to then try and pick a, a specific winner in yeah. each one of those uh, areas is incredibly difficult. And obviously, look, the margins are, are are fairly fat right across across this, the supply chain in this space. But to try and pick a winner within, you know, different areas uh, of the supply chain is incredibly difficult, you know, trying to pick the long-term winner. You know, so the approach that we've taken um, is that we've uh, got broad exposure to the sector, which includes, you know, right from the equipment manufacturers uh, to the fabricators, and that's through uh, the iShares Semiconductor ETF or exchange trader fund, and that gives you, you know, a very, very broad exposure. Um, you know, in, there are obviously some companies that dominate that, like the companies like the name of Nvidia, uh, which obviously they produce uh, GPUs, graphic mm. processing mm. units, and those go into gaming consoles, etc. Um, you know, a company like that does dominate. Taiwan Semiconductor as well. Uh, you get quite a big exposure to that business, um, but uh, yeah, at the same time, as I say, you get a broad exposure to all the companies. All right, there you go. Good advice. So ETF is the way to go, certainly from your point of view. Uh, if we want to get hold of you guys and and find out more, where do we go? Uh, you can jump onto our website, oldmutualwealth.co.za, and we sit under private client securities. You'll find uh, research and relevant information there. Fantastic. Andrew Ditburner, Chief Investment Officer at Private Client Securities. Thanks for your time. Nice chat. Great. Thanks, Ian. At Old Mutual Wealth Private Client Securities, we craft portfolios using a global and unbiased investment approach, allowing us to seek investment opportunities across asset classes, sectors, and geographies. We believe that quality, valuation, diversification, and time are the key drivers of superior long-term returns. As such, we invest in quality companies with a long-term track record of delivering sustainable earnings growth. Our investment philosophy is supported by a disciplined and robust investment process and is backed by a highly experienced and talented team.